<clears throat> excuse me. Um, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to John chapter 13. If you've not been around for a while, you might be wondering what is going on. Why does this, or maybe you're new here, why does this dude have a crutch? Um, I tore my ACL and uh, it's getting better and better and I'm excited to be back to 100% whenever that is. Uh, but in the meantime, I appreciate your patience. Um, obviously, I don't like preaching sitting down. It feels weird to me, uh, but I do appreciate your patience with me. We're doing a series right now called Game Changer, and what we're doing is we're looking at these different activities that we can do as Christians that can change our lives, these habits and patterns, these um, disciplines or rhythms that we embrace, and they help us to become more like Jesus Christ. So last week, we talked about worship, and we said, look, if you learn how to worship, not just on a Sunday morning, but you learn to have a posture of worship with your entire life, that's a game changer. When you go to work and you do it in this worshipful disposition, you recognize God loves you and has called and commissioned you to be there and to be his representative, and you go throughout your day and throughout your week, and you begin to do that, that is a game-changing reality. And we'll continue to look at a bunch of different spiritual practices that God has given to us that we recognize when we embrace them, when we engage in them, they actually change us. And so this morning, we're going to look at this activity of serving. And serving is something that we can do as believers that if we will embrace and we will look for opportunities and if we will do it and we'll leverage the gifts that God has given to us and the passions that we have, the experience of volunteering and serving, it can change us. And I thought to myself, I could use this opportunity to guilt a lot of us into serving. Um, I could motivate based off of, you know, expectation, you ought to be, you should be, this is why we need you to, we're, we're in need here, you need to get on board. But the better strategy, and the one that I find here in the Bible all over the place, is to motivate based off of love, and to ba based off of what God has done for us. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to John chapter 13, and it's the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. But I want, I want you to see here that Jesus gives us not only an example to follow, but it really points to what he was willing to do for us. And when that clicks, when that becomes kind of what's going on in our hearts, we become grateful people who can't help but think about how could I reciprocate that love? How could I respond appropriately to the grace of the gospel? And how could I begin to serve other people like I've been loved and served? And so that's my intention this morning. That's what I've been praying for. I'm praying that a lot of our hearts would be opened to what God has done for us, and that we would think carefully about how we could respond appropriately to that grace. So let me um, read the text, and then we'll pray and we'll get after it. This is page 874 in the Bibles that we have here. This is John chapter 13. I'm going verses 1 to 20. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, and their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you, but I know those but I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who, shared with my, he who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be a people who are radically transformed by your grace. We, we want to be a church that is marked by an awareness of what you've done for us at the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that we would become more like that son who humbled himself and served, and he made that a habit of his life, and that was really the focal point of his entire ministry. And so we want to follow in his leadership, and we want to become more like him. We want to be a serving people. There, there are plenty of people in need God, and so we ask that you would raise our awareness of how we can best humble ourselves and sacrificially love them by serving them. Would you help us please in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. As we move through the text this morning, I want to show you that there are kind of three big sections that help us to understand Christian service. The first one is the call. We see the call of Christian service. We see the character of it, what it looks like, and then we find a challenge to embrace it. So the call of Christian service comes in the introduction. And and here's what I'm suggesting. Jesus was fully aware of who he was and what the assignment was for him. And because of that, because of his self-awareness, because of his gospel confidence and what God was going to do through him, he was able to embrace this posture of humility. He was able to embrace this hard assignment, not only of washing feet, but ultimately of of offering his life as a sacrifice for those who do not deserve it. And we find that in the introduction, there are a bunch of words that kind of point in that direction, a bunch of phrases that say, there is more going on here than a simple, nice gesture because Jesus is a a kind dude. There's way more going on here than him just washing feet. And we go, oh, that's really neat. We should try to be more like that. No, this whole event is pointing to this grand scheme of what God is going to ultimately do through this Son, Jesus Christ. So let's look at a few of the different ideas here. He, he knew that his hour was at hand. Um, earlier in the book of John, he's at a wedding ceremony, and they run out of wine, and his mom nudges him and goes, hey, what can you do here? And what does he say to her? My hour has not yet come. 
meaning he's got a timetable, a divine timetable where he recognizes he's got a season where he's going to do public earthly ministry, and that's going to be followed by an hour where he's going to offer his life up as a sacrifice for sinners. And so here we come to this hour. Verse, 13, verse 1 of chapter 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he's aware. He understands his calling. He understands this is the moment for which the Father sent me. This is my hour. This is my final chance that I can spend with my disciples and I can help them in this moment. He, he washes their feet to help them understand what's coming. And then he spends a handful of chapters, we call it the farewell discourse. It's kind of his final words to his guys, and he's preparing them for after he is crucified and resurrected and what that's going to look like. But in this moment, he's aware of that calling on his life. I know that this is the hour. I know that it is my time to return to the Father. I've been sent by him. I'm going back to him. So he is aware. There's an awareness of that calling. He was expressing his love to them. That's another aspect of his calling. He was called to love his own and to show them the full extent of that love. Look at the end of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to its fullest extent. That phrase that shows up that says, to the end, it shows up again toward the end of the book of John. And it's it's worded a little bit different when we find it that second time. But here's what it says that second time. It is finished. It's mirrored, this thing where it's saying he's loving them to the end. It shows up later when he's hanging on the cross and he's saying, it is finished. This is the full extent of his love. That he was willing to lay down his life for his enemies and his friends. That he was willing to be that substitutionary atonement, that he was willing to die for sinners, to offer up his righteous life and to pay the penalty for rebellion and sin. And so what's happening here is Jesus is fully aware of this high calling that he has, the purpose for which he's been sent. He's now showing the full extent of his love. He was aware of the devil's schemes. He was fully aware that there was an enemy and that enemy was opposed to him and that enemy's plan was now in motion. Look at verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. He's aware. There's a devil, there's an enemy. The the enemy doesn't want him to move forward in this plan, and so the enemy has provoked, has prompted Judas to betray him, to turn him over, and Jesus is aware of that. He's He's not flying blind here. He's fully aware. He has an awareness of that calling. He's aware of the enemy. He's aware that the hour is at hand. He's aware of his expression of love. He's trying to communicate all these grand schemes to his disciples in these final moments. Not only is he aware that the devil's at work, he's aware of his own authority. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he's aware of who he is. He's aware of his divine authority. He's aware that he is the one who is in control. And in light of all of that, Okay, this introduction is meant to show us there's a lot going on here. Jesus is aware of his calling, so he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash feet. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. So here's what I'm suggesting. The awareness of the calling is allowing him to move into this humble posture of self-sacrifice for the good of other people. That's what Christian service is. But it's coming because he is aware of who he is, 
and what he's supposed to do. It's in light of that that he begins to show them a picture prior to the cross of what the cross is going to look and feel like as he offers himself as a sacrifice. So here's the first thing that we need to get when we read this story. It is very easy to misread this event and think that it's only about a nicety. It's only about doing something kind for other people. It's only about, you know, washing somebody's feet. It's about, so much, it's about that and so much more. The first point of application that we need to understand is that we need to worship. The main takeaway from this is that we should come away going, I can't believe that Jesus did this for us. I worship him. That's the main takeaway from looking at the foot washing this morning. I hope that we walk away going, I have a savior, I have a king who loved me to the fullest extent. And he displayed that for me in real ways so I could know what that looks and feels like. But he, knowing his calling, was able to embrace this thing. But there's another point of application here for us. And I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we are called in this passage to follow his leadership. We're called to be people who take on that same humble servant posture. And one of the things that I want to say to you is, that we do a better job at this when we understand our own calling, when we understand our identity, when we understand who God is and what he's done for us and what he has in store for us, when we understand our calling, that will help us to move toward other people to bless and serve them. We use a phrase around here, we say the the phrase, we want people to have gospel confidence. And here's what we mean. People who have gospel confidence know who they are, they know who God is, they know what God has done for them, and in light of that, they have this kind of humble swagger. If I can put together a couple ideas that don't seem to fit, this kind of quiet confidence about them where they just know, here's what God has done for me. That gives me incredible confidence to do whatever it is that he wants me to do. No matter how demeaning the task may seem, no matter how challenging this may be that God is asking me to do this thing, if I have gospel confidence, I can move forward and I can do whatever the task might be. I was talking to a guy from our campus this week and and we were just talking about this concept and and I was sharing with him one of the major themes in my life, it, it has always been a theme, is that I struggle with the fear of man. I struggle with what people think about me And when that is happening, I can often do the wrong thing. That I can go through life and I can worry about what people think and how people receive me and whether or not people like me because of the fear of man. But when I'm experiencing gospel confidence, that stuff fades into the background. And I can do whatever it is that God wants me to do. So on a Sunday morning, for instance, when I get done preaching, what do I do? I start fishing for compliments. Hey, what would you think of the message today? Because I care. I care about what people think. I, care. I want people to say, man, that was awesome. That was so good. That was the best sermon I've ever heard, or whatever the case might be. Because th- that's the fear of man at play in my heart. I want people to accept me. Here's what gospel confidence looks like. When I get done serving, I can simply rest. When I understand that I've done what God has asked me to do, when I've spoken in his name and on his behalf, and I've done that well, and I've done it in a way that I feel like I've pleased him, It doesn't matter what you think. You might even be offended with me sometimes. But if I have that gospel confidence, it changes things. So 
I, I pray this for you guys, and I try to counsel in this way quite often. I want us to have that sort of gospel confidence so that when you walk into a scenario and you're a little unclear of how it's going to play out, but you know who you are, and you know what God has done for you, and you know what God is asking you to do in that moment, you're able to step into that with a confidence and say, come what may, I'm following God. Come what may, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I have a gospel confidence. I think when we embrace that, when we get it, when it's operating in our hearts, it helps us to humbly serve other people. So the first thing we find is this call to humble Christian service. The second thing I want you to see is the character of it. And here's what we're talking about. What would it look like? What does it look like to serve other people in this way? And what I want to suggest to you is it looks and smells like foot washing, right? When we serve other people the way that God wants us to serve, it will often look and smell a lot like foot washing. And in this next section, we see it on display as Christ actually gets down and washes feet, but also in the dialogue between Peter and Jesus as they're trying to sort, sorting through uh, what's really going on here. So let's look at it, verses 4 and 5. So he got up from the meal. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's what's going on. They didn't have vehicles back then. They would, if they were going to a meal together, they'd be marching along dusty roads in their, their sandals, and they would get there. And what would happen ordinarily is a servant, the lowest of the low within the pecking order, would, would be given this assignment. When everyone shows up, wash the feet of all of the guests. Get a basin, get a towel, and wash their feet. And here in this story, Jesus assumes this incredible humiliating posture of a servant. And he gets up and he wraps that towel around. And so everyone's kind of freaking out because this is not how it's supposed to work. Only the lowest of the low should be performing this kind of task. In fact, as I was reading about it this week, Jewish slaves couldn't even be compelled to do it. It was only for foreign slaves and other, the lowest of the low in the social pecking order. So for Jesus, the master, the king, the teacher, the Lord, to do this, I mean, it really was this, this incredible moment where everyone's like, this is not how it works. You're breaking all kinds of social conventions here. But he is displaying what Christian service really looks like. That the greatest one didn't come to serve, didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he gets down and he begins to wash feet. Now, um, that means that, that when we decide that we're going to serve other people, it might look a little undignified. You, you, you might be having to do something that, that you know people aren't going to pat you on your back for it, right? The disciples loved it when they got sent out in his authority and they're casting out demons and healing people and proclaiming the kingdom of God and they come back rejoicing. But oftentimes Christian service looks like you put a towel around your waist and you get low and you start washing feet. You're doing something that's undignified that other people might not even fully appreciate. They might even recoil at the thought of you doing this. So um, earlier this week, we were climbing into bed and we were going to do story time. And, and Ash and I look at each other and we're like, what is that smell? And there's just an odor in, you know, we're, we're like, what is that? And we start smelling around and it's Harrison's feet. 
And I, he's totally cool with me telling this story because he just loves, he loves, in fact, he walks around and just broadcasts. We'll be in a group of people and he'll say, Daddy, we're the stinky boys. And then he'll just start laughing. So he, he doesn't mind that I'm telling this story, but man, his feet were very stinky. And he's been wearing these shoes all summer without socks and you know, it was one of the last nice days, and so he has these shoes on, and we're, you know, he takes them off, and we're climbing into bed, and we're like, oh, dude, so I go and get something, and I start washing his feet, and, and I get done washing his feet, and they still stink, but I throw the stuff away, and I wash my hands, and I'm like, okay, we just need to keep going, okay, we just need to get in bed, and we'll put them under the blankets and try to stuff them down, but here's the point. I'm washing the feet of my four-year-old boy, which is one thing, but can you imagine washing the feet of grown men and 12 different individuals, and this is just kind of the, the lowest thing in their society for the servant, and that's what Jesus is doing. He is showing us Christian service looks a little, di- a little bit different than we might expect. Sometimes it calls us to, to do these very menial tasks, these very lowly tasks, and to not expect a bunch of people to kind of jump up and say, man, this is awesome. I love you. I can't believe you're doing this for me but instead to just have to receive it. Sometimes God is going to call us to do that. And so my question for you is, what does that look like? What does that look like for you? What if you took on this character of Christian service? What would it look like for you to embrace some of the things that God might be calling you to do this week? What are some of the lowly things that you excuse yourself from? Oh, I don't have to do that. Someone else will do that. But what might God be calling you to embrace as a way of life, as a rule of life, as your Christian service? Well, not only does it look and smell like foot washing, it also points to the gospel. Now, granted, it's hard to understand. I don't think the disciples got this until much later, but the, the conversation between Peter and Jesus kind of tips us off. What he's doing here is pointing to that greater reality that he's going to the cross to die for people. So verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's basically put off by this whole thing. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. That, this is what's happening. He's saying, look, what I'm doing in this moment is way more significant than, than me just washing your feet. You don't understand it right now. But later, and this is what he says also in the next few chapters, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal these things to you. You might not get it in this moment. They didn't. Right? Even after the cross, what, what happens with, with Peter? Oh man, bummer. I guess it's game over. Let's go fishing. Right? He doesn't get it. He does, you don't understand right now, but later you will. This is pointing to the gospel. And so Peter's one of those dudes who he just kind of shoots from the hip. He says what's on his mind. Uh, he doesn't have a filter. You, you might know people like this. You might be that person. You just, whatever's kind of on your heart, boom, it comes out. So what does he say? No, no, no. Verse 8, no, said Peter you shall never wash my feet. This isn't how it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, now he's backpedaling. And what does he do? He says, well, hold on. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So he's all of a sudden totally on board with this thing, and he's just saying, I don't really get what's going on here, but if I have to be washed to be a part of this, then let's just get the whole package going. You know, let's get the full washing thing going. And Jesus says, look, dude, you're totally missing this. You don't have a need for a bath. If you've had a bath, you're clean. You simply need your, your, your feet to be washed. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath 
need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. What's he saying? Unless you receive from me this washing, unless you receive what I'm going to do for you, you will have no part with me. And he totally misses that, and he's like, okay, this is a hygiene thing, so you know, let's, let's just uh, get, get totally washed up. But Jesus is saying, no, you're missing it. It's like if I invited you to my house and I said, hey, look, we're having a bunch of people over. Why don't you come to my house? We're going to have a meal together. And we set everything out and people are washing their hands and you go, "Uh, excuse me for a moment. I'll be right back. And you go into the bathroom and you start drawing a bath. And you go, I'm just trying to get ready for this meal. That'd be weird, right? If somebody comes to your house for a meal and they get in your bath, that's weird. And that's kind of what Peter is doing in this moment. He's going, I don't really know what's going on, but, but if you want me to be clean, then let's wash everything up. And Jesus is saying, no, you're missing the point. I am pointing to something significant. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to die for you. And unless you receive that, you will have no part in me. This is preparing us for the good news of the gospel. It's preparing us for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's trying to get his disciples to recognize there's something coming that they're going to have to humbly bow before, and they don't even have categories for it. They have categories for a Messiah who's king, who will come in and will be strong and show his military might. They have categories for a Messiah who's going to come in and rescue and redeem and set the people of God free from oppression and slavery and judge the world. They don't have a a category for a Messiah who's a servant. They don't have a a category for a Messiah who's going to humble himself and serve other people, and ultimately die for them. That's what Jesus is trying to help them see. This story is about what Jesus is going to do for them, that he is willing to die for them. He's trying to help them see that he's going to humble himself and become a servant to the point of death. That's what Paul will later talk about in Philippians chapter 2. I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but it's essentially saying, Jesus Christ did not grasp equality with God but he humbled himself. He didn't hang on to his privileged status, but he humbled himself and he became a servant and he became obedient to death on a cross. And then because of that, God gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. But here's the point. This foot washing is pointing to that reality. Jesus is going to humble himself to the point of death for people who don't deserve it. And we have to receive that by faith or we have no part with him. We have to receive by faith what he offers us at the cross. And if we don't do that, we're not Christians. And that's the point that's being made here. We are learning about this paradoxical cross that the greatest person is going to humble himself to the point of death so that his enemies could be redeemed and rescued. Now, Peter shows the tendency of our human hearts. The tendency of our hearts is to reject that and to say, no, 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 if you told me what you wanted me to do, I will do that. But if you're asking me to receive something that is so offensive to me and to my sensibilities, no thank you. I don't want you to wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. It's showing us that that's kind of the posture of the human heart. Too often we are very prideful and we won't receive what God is offering us in the cross and crucifixion. We will try to make ourselves Christians by our activities. That, that feels better to us. Tell me what I need to do. God, I'll go ahead and do that. I'll make a list, check stuff off. 
I'll go to church. I'll be a good person. If that's the way to be right with you, I'm fine with that. But if I have to humble myself and receive from the King of glory his sacrificial death on my behalf, no thank you. My friend Mickey Klink, he's a pastor in Roscoe, and he wrote a commentary on the book of John. Here's what he says about Peter here. He says, what looks like an objection rooted in modesty is really disobedience and self-righteousness. Peter was actually rejecting the grace of God in the gospel. He, he was rejecting what Christ was pointing to and saying, look, unless you receive this, you have no, no part with me. And too many people, too many people who call themselves Christians have not received by faith what, what Christ is willing to do for you. We just want to be Christians. We, we want to perform Christianity. But here's the first thing you need to know. You have to receive it by faith. You have to receive that washing. You have to receive what Jesus was willing to do for you on the cross, or you're not really a Christian. We have to humble ourselves and receive this humble invitation that Jesus gives to us. So we should be aware that in our pridefulness, we, we could reject this. We could dismiss it. We could even reject it in the sense that Judas does and say, look, I'm not on board with this at all. I can't get on board with this idea at all, and we would betray him then. We need to recognize that the character of Christian service is humble, self-sacrificing for the good of others, and we have to receive it from Christ first, and then we begin to display it to the watching world. That's the third point that we're going to find here. There's a challenge at the end, not just to receive it, but now to, as recipients of it, begin to display it to the watching world. So simply put, if you've embraced the gospel, then you should also humbly, sacrificially, lovingly serve other people. So look at verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. The answer is, we have no clue, right? If, you're, if they're being honest, they don't get it yet. But then he explains, very, he, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. He's saying, look, if this is what I will do for you, if I've done this for you, and you've received this, now you have the pattern. Now you have the appropriate way of life. Christians are people who receive by grace what Christ offers us. And now we begin to display that to the watching world through this humble, sacrificial love. Isn't that what the world needs right now? They need a clear picture of what Christ is like. We as Christians can be the placards of the grace of God in the gospel. We can be the ones who are kind of broadcasting. Here's what it would look like to experience Christ. Here's what it would look like if Jesus came to town. Here's what it would look like if you worked beside Jesus. I'm going to sacrificially, humbly love and serve you. Jesus is saying, look, if I'm the teacher and I do this for you, you also should do this for one another. This is the way of Christianity. This is the challenge that he's offering us. He's saying, if you're going to receive the gospel, now let's begin to display that gospel. Let's begin to show people what it looks like. Verse 16, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. <clears throat> now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He's saying, here's the challenge. You now know, and that's how I want you to live. And if you do that, you will be blessed. You now know what it looks and feels like to be loved by me, to be served by me. 
And so I would expect then that you would march out in that gospel confidence, aware of your calling, aware of what that character and quality looks like, and you would begin to display that to a watching world. And I want to say, look, friends, if we get all of that and we say no, I don't think that's a very smart response. I, I think we, we're missing it then. I think we're, we're, we're being disobedient if we recognize how God has served us and we say, I, I don't want to serve. I don't want to love other people. I don't want to humble myself. Jesus is inviting us. He's challenging us to receive and respond, to serve because we've been served, to love because we've been loved. John will talk about this later in, in a, another letter. In 1 John 4, it, it goes like this in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love and we serve because God has loved and served us. And once that clicks, that just becomes our way of life. Christian service becomes the rule of life for us. And we're looking for opportunities then to go low and to serve other people. Now, I want to challenge you here because I think Christian service is very demanding. And it will often ask you to love and serve and bless people who you do not agree with and who do not even like you. And Judas is here all throughout this story. You've seen him show up in, what was it, verse 2 and verse 11, and then again in verse 18, where he's saying, um, he's saying I'm not referring to all of you. Uh, you will be blessed if you do these things. But I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. There is one present, Judas, who has so rejected Jesus and what he's doing that he's about to betray him. And Jesus is fully aware of that. And what do we not find in the text? We don't find him saying, I'm going to wash 11 disciples' feet here. And the 12th one, no, 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 because I'm aware of what you're going to do. No, he's, he, he also is a part of that experience. And I just want to say to you, there are people who, who God is calling you to love and serve and we're too quick to excuse ourselves from doing that. We say, they don't deserve it. If they would do that, then maybe I would respond with some kind of kindness. But really, they have forfeited their right to be served and loved by me. Now, that's not what we find in this story. We find Jesus loving and serving even Judas. So who is that person for you? Who comes to mind when you begin to think there is an enemy in the camp? And they might be at your workplace, or they might be in your household, or they might, they might be in your church family, and you go, I can't get along with this person, and I cannot love and serve them. And Jesus is saying, well, watch me. Look what I did. We need to be willing to love and serve people in that way. Now, I want to share with you briefly, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but I am so encouraged by this story this week. Um, I was, uh, you know, there's just, doing pastoral ministry is hard, and there's a lot that goes on, and a lot of brokenness that most of us probably aren't aware of, but when you kind of take a survey of the entire church family, and you go, good grief, the enemy hates our guts, and we're not doing a good job here. And so lately, there have been some stuff going on, and I'll say, oh man, what could I have done better here? What could I have done better to help these people, these individuals, these families, these couples? What could our church be doing better? But then this week I was looking at this and I'm going, I am so glad that Jesus has a Judas. I know that sounds weird or maybe even improper, but I'm so glad that Jesus had a disciple who totally failed. 
right? Tim Keller, when he was preaching on this, he was like, well, Judas had the very best small group experience, right? His leader was Jesus. You can't get better than that. And he was spending time with these people, and he was the most equipped and trained individual, you know, because of his experience in that group. He was trained for ministry. He had better theological understanding than most pastors would. He had incredible ministry success as he was sent out in the name of Jesus with his authority. And he nonetheless rejected and betrayed Christ. And so for me, that's a weird, um, a weird way to encourage myself, but I'm just thinking, man, you can do everything right. You could be Jesus himself and people will still turn away from the invitation. And so my caution for us then is, man, we better examine our hearts, right? Don't let the extent of your Christianity be the fact that you have close proximity with Jesus. Judas had that. Don't let the extent of your Christianity be that you, that, that, that you have done activities in his name. Judas did activities in his name. Don't let the extent of your Christianity be that you know, you're successful in doing ministry or serving people. No, the, your Christianity is, are you relying by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? There are a lot of people who are like Judas, who claim the name Christian, but they do not belong to him. And I just want to make sure that we walk out of here with a gospel confidence that we belong to him, that we have surrendered our lives to him, that we are following him, that we're not just around him at church and doing Christian things, but we actually depend on him by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God. Here's the last thing. We'll wrap up. I'll invite the band to come, but man, we are commissioned to do this. Here's the challenge. We are commissioned as Christians to go out to this watching world in his authority and display this sacrificial love. Look at verse 20. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are fully commissioned to do this. You receive what he has offered you at the cross. You have a gospel confidence because of that. You understand the character of what that looks like. Now go and do that for other people. Humble yourself, get low, love people, be willing to humiliate yourself even so that you can help and serve and bless other people. So I'm going to invite the band to come. We're going to worship once more, but I want to pray. I've been praying this week that we would become a transformed people who serve others well, like Jesus did. So let's bow. Lord, right now, we are asking that you would help us to recognize, to even feel the significance of our salvation. That we love because we've been loved. So help us in this moment to feel a deep appreciation for the love of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to worship him in this moment. Help us to proclaim his goodness because of what he's done for us. And then, Lord, let us respond by loving and serving other people by being willing to humble ourselves, by being willing to go low and do what's best and necessary for people, even if, they, even if they're enemies. Lord, we want to be a loving community, so would you help us? Because it's all too easy to be self-centered, to be selfish. Help us to be changed so that we could be self-giving and, and sacrificial. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.